So uh, tonight we're going to uh, read three passages. Uh, The first one is from uh, Exodus chapter 32, where we're going to read the verses 7 through to 14. And then after that we're going to read two passages from the Gospel of Luke. The first one from chapter 11 and the second from chapter 18. But we begin with Exodus chapter 32. I'm going to begin reading at verse 7 and uh, trust the words will be up on the screen there behind me. And uh, this uh, passage comes hot on the heels of the incident with the golden calf. So reading from verse 7 it says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Go down because your people whom you brought up out of Egypt have become corrupt. They have been quick to turn away from what I commanded them and have made themselves an idol cast in the shape of a calf. They have bowed down to it and sacrificed to it and have said, These are your gods, Israel, who brought you up out of Egypt. I have seen these people, the Lord said to Moses, and they are a stiff-necked people. Now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Then I will make you into a great nation. But Moses sought the favour of the Lord his God. Lord, he said, why should your anger burn against your people, whom you brought out of Egypt with great power and a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say it was with evil intent that he brought them out, to kill them in the mountains and to wipe them off the face of the earth? Turn from your fierce anger, relent, and do not bring disaster on your people. Remember your servants Abraham, Isaac and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and I will give your descendants all this land I promised them, and it will be their inheritance forever. Then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. Amen. Then turning over to Luke's Gospel, we begin in verse, uh, sorry, in chapter 11, and we're going to read verses 1 to 13. One day, Jesus was praying in a certain place. <coughs> Excuse me. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name, your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins, for we also forgive everyone who sins against us. And lead us not into temptation. Then Jesus said to them, suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me and I have no food to offer him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked and my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you the bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. So I say to you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks the door will be opened. Which of you fathers, if your son asks for a fish, will give him a snake instead? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? And then we also go over to uh, chapter 18, and we're going to read the first 14 verses. It says, Then Jesus told, this, it's told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, Grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused. But finally he said to himself, Even though I don't fear God or care what people think, Yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says. And will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I'm not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week and give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Amen. Friends, as we um, continue our theme of uh, living theology this afternoon, we've come now to the, to the topic of prayer. And what is prayer? Well, very simply, it is the way in which we can communicate with our Lord. It's the recognition that our God is constantly present in our lives, and so we can talk to him anywhere, anytime, out loud or in our hearts, and when we do, that he hears us and responds to us and cares for us. You may remember way back at the beginning of this series that we, we thought about God's revelation and how he speaks to us through his word and by his spirit. But yet it's not a one-way conversation, is it? Bible reading and prayer go hand in hand as he talks to us and we talk to him. Now, it's interesting that in the Bible, prayer is never really introduced or defined, but rather it is presumed. Right from the very start, we see that it's completely natural for God and his people to be communicating with each other. In the Garden of Eden, we see God conversing with, with Adam and Eve. In the passage that we just read from Exodus, we saw the Lord speaking to Moses and Moses speaking to the Lord. And we see the same pattern throughout the Old Testament. It's not always called prayer, but yet prayer is what it is. God's people speaking 
to him. And so in Psalm 32 it says, Therefore let all the faithful pray to you while you may be found. And in Psalm 65 it says, You who answer prayer, to you all people will come. As we move on into the New Testament, we see there that nothing has changed. Jesus himself was a man of prayer, and he made it clear that his followers would be also. In Luke chapter 11, we read that one day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray, just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, and as we know, he goes on to provide that pattern of prayer, what we know as the Lord's Prayer. And notice too that he doesn't say, if you pray, but he says, when you pray. Prayer, my friends, is presumed. In Luke chapter 18, we read, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. In Ephesians chapter 6, the Apostle Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions, with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, he says, Rejoice always, pray continually, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. My friends, prayer is simply talking to God. It doesn't have to be fancy or formal. It doesn't have to be long or complicated. But yet it is vital, for it allows us to speak personally and intimately to our own Heavenly Father, to the God who saved us by the very blood of His Son. And so it should be a completely normal and natural part of our lives. But yet, it's not so easy, is it? For prayer is often misunderstood, it is often a struggle, and it is often neglected. And so there's actually an awful lot that I could say about this topic tonight. In fact, you could write a book on prayer, and many, many, many people have. And so we can't possibly cover every aspect. But what I want to do tonight is I want to address two very pertinent topics with the aim that we might understand prayer just a little bit better. But more important than that, with the aim that we might be more inclined to pray. So I would like to, to think about, first of all, the relationship between prayer and providence. If you were here two weeks ago, then you'll know that we looked then at the providence of God. We were reminded that the Lord not only upholds all things in this universe, but that he also controls and directs everything that happens according to his good and perfect plan. And this is a glorious truth. It reminds us that our lives are not ruled by chance or by fate, not ruled by evil forces, not even ruled by our own perverted desires but rather our lives are totally in the hands of our powerful, wise and loving Creator. And He has promised us that in, that in all things, 
in all things, both good and bad, but he is working for our good. But yet providence also raises a very relevant question. And that is, if our God is in total control, and if he has already planned everything that will happen in this world, and everything that will happen in our lives, well then what's the point of praying? I mean, if his plan is fixed, then surely prayer achieves nothing, and we may as well not bother. And maybe you have wondered about this, maybe you have struggled with this. To put it in real terms, let's say that you have an illness and you believe in God's providence. That means that you know that God gave you the illness and that he's already decided whether or not you'll recover. He's already determined the success or otherwise of your medications and your operations and any other treatment. He's already determined whether or not a miracle will take place. So what's the point of praying? If God's already decided that you will be healed, then surely that's going to happen whether you pray or not. And if he has decided that you won't, then surely no amount of prayer will change his mind. So why do we bother? Well, my friends, to answer this, we first of all need to be clear that God does listen to our prayers and he does respond. We need to be clear that prayer does make a difference and it brings about change. Think back to Exodus 32 that we read earlier. The people of Israel had sinned grievously by worshipping the golden calf. And so God said, now leave me alone so that my anger may burn against them and that I may destroy them. Clearly God had a course of action in mind. But then we're told that Moses prayed, turn from your fierce anger, relent and do not bring disaster on your people. He was pleading with God to change his mind. And then we're told, then the Lord relented and did not bring on his people the disaster he had threatened. God listened to Moses and his course of action changed. This shows us that prayer definitely makes a difference. And so it must, otherwise, why would Jesus have said in Luke 11, Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. And to the one who knocks, the door will be opened. And why would James in chapter 4 say, You do not have because you do not ask God. But how then do we reconcile this to our belief in God's providence? Well, what we need to understand tonight, my friends, is that prayer is not opposed to providence. When we pray, God is not surprised by our requests. In Matthew 6, Jesus says, Your Father knows what you need before you ask him. And when God responds to our prayers, that does not mean that he's unprepared for the consequences. It doesn't mean that he has to alter his plans. You see, we need to remember the infinite greatness of our Lord. So even though sometimes he reveals himself to us in human terms like he does in Exodus 32, that doesn't mean that he suffers human limitations. And so we shouldn't see prayer in opposition to providence, 
but rather as a vital element of God's providence. You see, my friends, when we pray, even our requests are known and decreed by God long before we ever make them. And when he gives us what we ask for, then his response too is part of his eternal plan. And in the very same way, when we don't pray and when we don't receive as a result, well, that too is under his control. In his book, Christian Theology, Millard Erickson puts it this way. He says, when God wills the end, such as a healing, he also wills the means, including our own prayers. And thus prayer does not change what he has purposed to do, it is the means by which he accomplishes his end. And so when Moses pleaded for Israel, the request was real and the response was too. But yet that does not mean that God needed to go back to the drawing board to redesign the rest of history. No, he already knew and had ordained both Moses' prayers and his own change of mind. It was all part of the plan. And so, my friends, when we are sick and pray, God most certainly hears us and he responds to us and he does us good. And my friends, if we don't pray, then that will be to our detriment. But either way, the Lord knew what we would do, for even prayer is part of God's providence. But that then brings us to the other matter that we want to address tonight, and that is, why don't we always get the things that we pray for? And that's another important question for us to wrestle with. I mean, we've already seen those words in Luke 11, where it says, Ask, and it will be given to you. Seek, and you will find. Knock, and the door will be opened to you. Doesn't seem to be any qualifications here, does it? Jesus seems to say, you ask, and you get. In Matthew 21, he says, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. In John 15, he says, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. But yet there's not a single person sitting here tonight who does not know that there are many times in life when we ask and it's not given. When we seek but yet don't find when we knock and the door stays shut. We pray for a job but no job comes. We pray about a relationship but yet it still goes sour. We pray for healing but there is none. And so again we ask ourselves, well, what then is the point of prayer? Well, the first thing to realise is that in every one of these passages, there's a little bit more to the story. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus goes on to say, If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? The first thing this tells us is that our God only gives good gifts. But it also tells us that the good gift that God most wants to give us is his Holy Spirit. That could mean the initial gift of the Holy Spirit at the time of salvation when someone first comes to faith. Or it could also be the ongoing filling of the Spirit as we grow in our faith. And so when Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you, he's not talking about material wealth and well-being. 
For those things may not even be the good gifts and they may even stand in the way of what really matters. Jesus is talking about spiritual blessings which are better by far. And what about in Matthew 21? Jesus doesn't just say there, you will receive whatever you ask for, but he says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for. For we are only promised that which lines up with our Christian faith. And in John 15, it's not just ask whatever you wish and it will be done, but Jesus says, if you remain in me, And my words remain in you. Ask whatever you wish and it will be done. And there are many other examples too. Back in Exodus 32, again, Moses wasn't asking for a Lamborghini, was he? He was was asking for the salvation of his people. And in Luke 18, Jesus was not teaching his disciples to pray for a luxury mansion, but rather that God would bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night. Or think of John 15, uh, sorry, John 14. Jesus says, I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son, You may ask me for anything in my name and I will do it. And also in John 16, very truly I tell you, my Father will give you whatever you ask in my name. Until now you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive and your joy will be complete. What is it to ask in Jesus' name? It's asking not for that which benefits us but for that which benefits him and his glorious purposes in this world. Or we can think also of 1 John chapter 5. It says, This is the confidence we have in approaching God, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we know that we have what we have asked of him. And in Matthew chapter 6, in the other version of the Lord's Prayer, Jesus reminds us that we should pray, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And in Mark chapter 14, Jesus himself prayed, take this cup from me, yet not what I will, but what you will. And you know, I think it's summed up so well in James chapter 4. For he indeed says, you do not have because you do not ask God. But then listen to what he says next. When you ask, you do not receive, because you ask with wrong motives, that you may spend what you get on your pleasures. Congregation, these passages are teaching us that God does give us what we ask for, but only when we have learned to ask for the right things. We need to learn to pray for spiritual blessings in line with our Christian faith, things that we can ask for in Jesus' name and in accordance with God's will, things that are not for our own pleasure, but for the good of his gospel and the good of his kingdom. And my friends, when we come to understand this, then we will see that there are some prayers that God will always say yes to. We've already seen in these passages that he will always give his Holy Spirit to those who ask him. 
and he will always give justice for his chosen ones. But on top of that, he promises that he will always give wisdom. In James chapter 1, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault and it will be given to you. And he will always give forgiveness. 1 John chapter 1, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. But that's not all. My friends, if you ask him for strength in a time of trial or temptation, if you ask that you might know him more deeply or obey him more closely, if you ask for opportunities to serve or to witness for him, then you can be assured that he will provide. We can have every confidence that God will do what we ask if we're asking in accordance with his will. But what then about when we're not sure? What about those situations where God's will, word is silent? Is it always God's will for us to gain the house or the job or the family of our dreams? Is it always God's will to save us from distress, disability or disaster? Is it always God's will to act in our society or in our world according to what we think would be best? Is it always God's will to give us whatever we might desire? Well, you know, unfortunately, there are some Christians and some churches who think that that, that is the case. This is the name it and claim it type of theology that's gaining momentum in certain circles. These people say that when you want something, you have to declare that it's yours and God will provide. These people say expressing uncertainty demonstrates a lack of faith and disqualifies you from a positive outcome. These people say that if you're not healed from your illness or not delivered from your problem, then it's because of your own sin and your own unbelief. But do you know what the problem is here? Those who think this way are actually seeking to conform God's will to their own rather than their will to his. And that, my friends, is the absolute height of arrogance. Who are we to tell God what to do? Who are we to decide what is best? The reality is that we will always want the things that we, are, we think are best for us from a worldly perspective. But sometimes those things are not good for us at all. I mean, maybe that job you've set your heart on will actually drag you away from God. Maybe getting married would actually prevent you from fulfilling the plans God has for your life. Maybe being healed from that illness would prevent you from growing in faith and trust. And that's why we need to accept that sometimes the Lord says no. And sometimes the Lord says, not yet. In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, the Apostle Paul said, Therefore, in order to keep me from becoming conceited, I was given a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, Three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. 
But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And we've seen how Jesus himself prayed that that cup of suffering would be taken away from him. But yet he said, not my will, but yours be done. Even Jesus knew that his own human desire might be out of line with God's greater desire, his desire to save his people, his desire to save you and me. And so his father said no. And my friends, if it's good enough for Jesus to say, not my will but yours, then surely it should be good enough for us. But that does not mean, my friends, that our faith is weak, as some would say. For we know and we trust that the Lord can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. Rather, it means that we recognise that our own understanding is limited, that our own desires are selfish, and that God is far wiser than we will ever be. And so when it comes to matters where we're not sure of God's will, we can most certainly ask in full sincerity, but yet with humility, we need to accept his answer, whatever that might be. And so, my friends, we've considered the question tonight, what is the point of prayer? We've considered this in the context of providence, asking why we'd pray when God's plan is fixed. And we've seen that even our own prayers and God's response to them are all part of his glorious plan. And so we should pray, knowing that God hears us and answers us, and that our prayers are the very means that he uses to achieve his ends. But we've also considered this in terms of the reality that we don't always get the things that we ask for. But we've seen that we always receive what we ask when our requests are in line with God's will and when we're not sure, then we need to humbly accept that not our will, but his will be done. But as we conclude, I think we need to briefly remember what prayer is all about. You see, one reason why we struggle with questions like these is because we can all fall into the trap of thinking that prayer is all about getting what we want from God. But that's actually a very poor way of looking at it, isn't it? You see, prayer, as I said at the beginning, is simply talking to God, to our Creator, to our Saviour. And so at its heart, prayer is all about a relationship. It's not about getting what we want, but it's about getting closer to our Lord. It's about pondering and experiencing his presence and his love and his grace. It's about expressing and demonstrating our neediness and our dependence and our faith. It's about aligning our will to his and giving him all glory and honour and praise. And so our prayers should be far more than just a shopping list, but rather an opportunity to express our adoration for who he is and what he has done, and a time to confess our own sins and seek his forgiveness, and a means to thank him for every single blessing that he so generously provides.
And my friends, when we learn to, to pray like this, like a child chatting with their father, discussing all the things that are on our hearts and our minds, basking in his fellowship and his love, then it will become less of a burden and more of a joy. For the Lord's command to pray is not for our detriment, but for our enormous benefit. He longs to converse with us as the ultimate expression of the relationship we share. And so, my friends, may this encourage us to understand prayer better, but more important still, may it encourage us to pray. Amen. Let's pray.